I hope that you've been following along. If if you have the interwebs and you don't come here once in a while, then you you should catch up. You can kind of skip forward if you get a little bit, or you can, you know, hey, I don't have enough time to sit and listen to your voice for hours. Then you can beg for my notes, and I'll just give you my notes. Some people take in the notes, and I go, okay, I get it. You don't, want, I don't want to hear my voice either for that long. But, uh, but I do. I love the Book of Mark. Now today, you're not going to want to miss next week either. Uh, just want to throw that out, just shameless plug, you know, just to to continue on this. But this story that we're going to talk about today is very vital. Not that it, it's all vital, you know what I mean. But this is a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. This is this is a chapter, and this story that we're talking about is is a moment that moves beyond just. I won't say healings and all that are superficial or not. They're important, but it goes even deeper than that. It goes deeper in really who Jesus really meant to be. And um, and so we're in Mark 8. Everybody there in your Bibles? If not, it's going to be on there. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles that we give away. And they're all, I think they're on the table out on the way out uh, to the parking lot. You can have one, keep it, put your name in it, underline it, do whatever it takes uh, to get the Word of God in you and... But I like this because this story is really a continuation of last week's story. If you weren't here and you missed last week's story, you're in luck because I'm going to mention it in, in, in passing because it's very vital that you understand the story from last week. Does anybody know in a sentence what happened last week? Just on the top of your head. Uh-oh. Huh? Jesus showed up. Healing. Blind man. Spit in the man's eyes. Right? Does that ring a bell? Right? Um, it's a story that I can't seem to quite forget myself. I'm like sitting there going, that's a radical way. I mean, if someone's praying for me, can you just pray? I don't mind you laying hands on me. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible doesn't say to spit on our eyes or our ears or our tongue or whatever. It, like, you know, I have a headache, so I need, I need to have someone spit on the back of my head. I have a migraine or something right here. My, my sinuses, which this is true, my sinuses have been hurting for a few weeks. I don't know what the deal is. I need someone just to spit in my ear really quick. Maybe that will heal it. I don't know. But Jesus, for some reason, he took three separate opportunities to praise for someone and heal someone through spit. I have no idea. Um, but he grabbed, I love the story because he grabbed the man's hand. He was blind. Some friends took him there and blind people were isolated. They were not, they were, they were cursed basically according to Jewish, uh, people. They were cursed. And so Jesus took him by the arm, escorted him out of the, ta- out of the village to be alone. I really believe that to get away from all the unbelief and all the people who are judging him and then he spit on the spit on the guy's eyes. So you think the Bible's boring? I I tend to think that's really entertaining. Just I want to see that. Okay, I mean, who wants to interact? Who wants to like do an, uh like interpretation of that right now? Right now, just right here. No, I don't either. But then he puts his hand on the man's eyes and says, "Can you see?" And he can see, but I can see people, but they look like trees. Then Jesus prays again. And then he's completely restored, this man is. He can completely see. So today's story, you cannot skip the story about the blind man um, being blind and then kind of seeing partially and then completely sight seeing. There's three separate spots for this guy. He's completely blind. He can't see the truth. He can't see what's right in front of him. Then he can see the truth. He can see what's right in front of him, but it's not quite clear exactly what he's seeing. He can see like Dwayne here, but Dwayne looks like a tree. That's not quite accurate. That's wrong, right? Is the people, is he a tree? No. He's, he's muscular like a tree. He's like built like a tree. Okay, fine. But must have been a strong individual that he was looking at. But we are going to say that because right after, there's a few things that happen between the healing and what we're getting to today because it all builds on each other. Okay, again, Mark and the other authors of the Bible, they don't just throw stuff in the Bible just randomly. It's building somewhere. And it, Mark is one of those stories, the gospels that it does. It, he puts certain stories in certain spots for a purpose. And so right after he heals the blind man, like the blind man is going to go away and Jesus, don't go into the village. Don't go in the village. Okay. Which is kind of strange, but they would have crowned him king right then, right there. And Jesus, he's not, he was not here for being an earthly king. Okay. And then he asked an important question. And the question we've already asked today, 
But I'm going to spin it to ask you guys, this is an important question today, is who do you say Jesus is? So he just healed someone. So if I'm asking, if Jesus is asking that on the way to somewhere else, and he says, hey, guys, who do people say that I am? And then they say, you know, this, this, this. Okay, who do you say that I am? I would like to say, oh, you're healer. Oh, you're that guy who can feed people, right? How many of us would be, instead of going to the grocery store after church, after church, because I see a lot of you guys after church at the grocery store. We have a little church reunion there, like five minutes after church. And uh, how many of you guys would rather just go home and dinner's already ready for you right there? Jesus has made it for you. I, I would. Thank you, Lord. I'm praying for that. It never happened to me yet. So I would like to say, Jesus, who do you, who do you say I am? You're, you're my feet. You're, you're my sustenance, I guess. You, you provide this food for me. I don't even have to go to the grocery store. Okay. Here's a question about the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000. Was the, was the fish, was it cooked or was it uncooked? I just don't know. Um, that's a question I got, you know, that I, they just think too much, I guess, about it. But, the answer to that question, and I'm being serious, like the answer to that question, if Jesus were to come up to you and say, I don't care what different churches say who I am, who do you, or, you know, or even what the Bible says I'm, who do you, what does it mean to you? Who do, who do you say I'm? Who is Jesus to you? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Is he your genie in a bottle? See, I watched, you know, the little cartoon, I, I here's a, I'm not a huge Disney fan, but when I was younger, my sister was. So she made me watch Aladdin, okay? And the Rob Williams is the genie. And Rob Williams made the genie, in my opinion. But anyway, like, like if you rub the lamp and the genie's coming out of there, and it's like, you, you, some of us, that's how we treat God. He's been in that bottle for 2,000 years. And finally, oh, I need you. Now I'm going to show up. Oh, I need you. I'm just going to show up here. Oh, I don't really need you. Get back in that bottle and just sit on there. And it makes a nice decoration right here on my, here, I'm just going to leave. That's Jesus. That's why Jesus has to ask these disciples, who do you say I am? And the answer to that question is going to radically change your life from this moment forward. You can't, you could, but you shouldn't just say, this is who you are to me, and then live as if he doesn't exist. Okay. Uh, I've heard it called a practical atheist. It's you say that God exists, but you live as if he doesn't exist. You exist that he, you live like he doesn't even change your life. Like he's changed my life, but not really. So my question to you, who do you say Jesus is? Now, if you have a personal relationship with God and you actually know who he is, I pray that Jesus would even take those small blind spots that we all have that we can't quite see. It's kind of like the time that I was, I was, I lived in, uh, I was in college and I was coming back from church one day and, um, my church was north, north of Seattle in Linwood and I was driving back. I was thinking I was visiting my parents in Puyallup and so I drove from Seattle area and it had just poured. Then the sunshine came up and the sun was shining on the, on the ground and it was so bright. I could not see. Now I'm not a person that can wear sunglasses unless I get them on this one right here. Um, because if I don't wear sun, if I wear sunglasses, then I can't quite see. It's like I see trees. That's not good. Right. But I could not quite see. I was, I mean, I could see that I was going straight. I could see the cars right next to me, but I couldn't quite, I had a, it was, I was blinded. I could see uh, enough to get where I was going, but I couldn't quite see that made me comfortable. I was very nervous the entire time because I was like, it's beautiful in Seattle when it doesn't rain, but I don't like that. It was shining right on the pavement. And so some of us, if not all of us, need to pray that God would take those blind spots off so that we could see. Because here's the deal. Some of us spiritually are just like that blind man when Jesus first healed him. He was healed, but he was not yet healed. Okay? He, it was not finished yet. He still had some blind spots. He could see, which was a praise the Lord, but he couldn't see. Like, if he's looking at people and he's seeing a, a tree, then something's wrong. You know, there's a tree, there's a tree, there's a tree there. And they look at me and there's a boulder, there's a rock. Right? Uh, I, I don't know. But see, what I want to see, I want us to see Jesus, the real Jesus. Now, I want to catch you all up 
from last week's message to get to this message because each one of these little snippets of Jesus' life is so important to get there. So let's go to chapter 8. And if you missed last week, don't feel guilty because you're getting the same story here, okay? For, it's important. You're getting caught up again. And for some of you guys, we already heard this. Yeah, but when you, I said, what did I preach about last week? You didn't remember. So now you'll, now you'll remember, okay? Um, when they arrived in Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, I love this part, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around, yes. He said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. In other words, there's a, there's a fog. There's a haze. It's a little hazy. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back in the village on your way home. If there's so much there that we're not going to get to, if you haven't seen it, last week's message, shameless plug, go on YouTube. For it's worth, I mean, people are wanting to, they're wanting to study this stuff right here. I'm getting a lot more views on my sermons than normal because people need to hear this stuff. They want to know who Jesus is. So if there's so much here, it's just rich, okay, that I don't have time to get to right now, but just go to that, not now. You don't have to put in your earbud and listen to it. Um, do it after church while you're eating lunch or something. So here we go. This man is went from not being able to see to be able to see in part and then to be completely sight, have sight. It is That's just an amazing thing. And so this illustrates a bigger issue, by the way. Jesus' disciples, see, in this entire story, two things have happened that we kind of, we, we, we talked about one, but we missed the other one. Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember that? Now, we mentioned this last week because the second thing that happened, he fed the 4,000. Now, if you're the disciples and Jesus says, we're going to feed the crowd, Dwayne, wouldn't you know what to do now? If, if it's, if you've already done this before, shouldn't we say, Jesus, you're the answer here. You can provide the food. But the disciples are like, uh, where are we going to get the food at? You boneheads. You are dumb. I said this last week, but I can't help it. How stupid it is. You know why? The truth is they were still blind. Okay, so when Jesus heals this blind man, it's not just about his sight, his physical sight. He's illus- he, he does care about the men's eyes, by the way, but... He's illustrating for his disciples and because of them, for us too, that you can be a Christian, you can walk with Jesus, you can talk to Jesus, you can have Jesus talk to you, but you can still be spiritually partially blind. You have blind spots. What that means is you don't see Jesus accurately or at best you see him incompletely. You have a different way of seeing Jesus. You have a different way of seeing. That's why there's a lot of Christians in life that they live as if Jesus doesn't really exist. They, and, and I've been guilty of that. I should buy a t-shirt that says, sometimes I don't act like Jesus. Like someone comes up to me and treats me horribly. Like, for example, they've never done this, but don't do this as an illustration, but someone walks to me in aisle two and they get mad at me and they just spit on me. You know, how am I going to react to that? Praise you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. God bless you. Honestly, I'm probably going to go, or spit them back. That's probably better. I would not punch them. Okay. Um, the last time I got in a big fight in eighth grade, I got, anyway, I got beat up. But anyway, uh, that did not work out well for me before. But I'd probably spit back. Why? That's not very Christ-like. So it's very possible that there's someone in this room, or maybe you're watching online, and, and you're being honest. You go, I do believe in Jesus, but I do have a few blind spots. And that's what today's about. Because the disciples were clueless, and Jesus didn't say, oh, you're just a little clueless. Jesus said, you're spiritually blind. And so we get to the next story in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. One verse after this, after right after the healing, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well... This is interesting. So John the Baptist is dead. Some people think that he 
somehow came back to life. Some say John the Baptist, maybe there was some resemblance, I don't know. Some say Elijah, who had been dead for a long time. And so others say that you're one of the other prophets, those prophets of the Old Testament that they, they assumed that would come back at some point. And then he asked them, fine. Who do people say I, I am? Well, I saw you in a movie once. I saw the passion of the Christ. And you did this and this and this. And then Jesus goes, okay, 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 stop. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter replied, because Peter is the one with the loud mouth. That's who I am. He says, you are the Messiah. And I would like to say, ding, 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 you win the prize. Okay? Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Isn't that interesting? There's a reason why Jesus said, shh. Peter goes, you're the Messiah. Shouldn't you be able to at that point say, you know what, right now we need to go out in this world and we need to tell Jesus, that, that, tell the world that Jesus is in fact the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. We need to say it right now, but Jesus goes, not right now. Because he's going to say that and what happens to Jesus? He got killed for it, which was to our benefit but the people that are killing him didn't know that. Jesus warned them not to tell them. So this is a significant part of the story. How many of us have ever read this part of the story in one of the Gospels? Jesus says that. All of us have. If you've read the Bible for a second, you found a version of this somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. This is vital. To, this, is, this is so important because things change after this. Up to this point in Mark, we've had demons say that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. We've had Jesus claim to be the, the Messiah, the Son of God. We've had Jesus claim, he says, before Moses was, I am. When he said that, he was claiming to be God. That's just one example. Okay? But this is the very first time that humans, humanity, someone that was, they're clueless, they're spiritually blind, finally gets to the point that says, Messiah. You know, and there's another, there's another, uh, book of the Bible, either either Matthew or Luke. I don't remember which one. Probably Luke. But Jesus says, good for you. Your fa- You didn't come up with this on your own. Your, the Father gave this to you. So Peter was not saying this alone. He had this ear towards the Father, and the Father said, Messiah. At some point, he was praying, and he was revealed to him that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a provider of food. He's not just a demon cast. He doesn't kick out demons and that's it. He is the promised Messiah of Isaiah. He is the suffering servant. Jesus is going to talk about that in just a moment because they have been waiting to see Jesus for centuries. Jesus saw Jesus for who he is, but you know what? They saw Jesus in part. You know why I say that? Because the very next thing, think of, have you ever said, done something good for God and the next moment you did something bad? Like, you have this moment of revival or you have a moment of clarity or you have a moment where you feel close to God, but then you leave the house. You go in your car. You go to do a responsibility. And the very first time, you're going in, you go open the door and you're like, I'm ready to save this entire community. And the first thing you do is something that makes you really mad and you say something, and you go, everything that I just did, it just, it's like rewinding all of a sudden. I'm back to way before what I just accomplished. And that's exactly what happens to Peter here, which is why I believe the story of the gospel would be true. These, these disciples are boneheads and clueless. And it's easy for us to point fingers at us, but I look at myself and go, there's times that I do that. But look at verse 31, right after this. Peter had just said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus goes, shh. Verse 31 says, then Jesus began to tell them the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, teachers of religious law, that he would be killed. But, he, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. Pause. Just look up here for a second. Don't cheat. He, the problem with us as we read the Bible, we already know how the story goes. We know when we, if Jesus were to physically say, oh, by the way, I have to like go to my death and you go, even though it's going to be hard for me to, to part with you, Jesus, go for it because you're going to save us. You're going to rescue us from hell. But 
The disciples didn't see that because they were blinded. Remember, what did Peter just call Jesus? The Messiah. Then Jesus right away says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed, but I will rise from the dead. As he talked about openly with his disciples, which disciple is the one that talked with Jesus? Peter, the exact same one that just said something very good. I mean, you are the Messiah. Ding, 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 you win the prize. And then, look at what he does. As Peter took him aside, and what did he do? He began to reprimand him for saying such things. Just for just a pause, for just let's, it is as an aside. Let's say Jesus walks in there physically. He walks down the aisle, and he comes right here, and he sits right here. How many of us are going to reprimand Jesus for the things that he says? I don't think any of us would have the courage to do that. I, I, I really honestly believe every one of us wouldn't care about what's happening this next week if Jesus were to show up physically. We would all bow down to him. But Peter, who is spiritually blinded, remember, he can't quite see clearly what it means. He knows he's the Messiah, but he has his own picture of what the Messiah means. He has his own picture of what Jesus, who Jesus is. He has his own theories about who God really is in this world and what God is going to do. And then Peter took him aside, began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and he looked at the disciples. Then what did he do? Reprimanded Peter. He turned, he turned the table, the same word. Peter reprimanded him. Look what, and then Jesus looks at the disciples. See, I've always, this is very, Jesus is very serious here. How many of us, when you have to correct someone or something, you've been taught to take them aside for a minute and not do it in front of people, right? I have been at the brunt end of someone saying bad things towards me in front of everybody. And it would have, it would have meant a deal of, it would have been a world of difference to send me, to take me into a room or go over in that room or go upstairs or take me to coffee and say, you know what, we need to talk. It would have been a lot easier instead of just go, Bleh! and then everybody's like, but Jesus, he goes, you know what, I'm so, I am so mad right now. Because, and look at what he says, he reprimanded Peter. He's not just going, it's okay, Peter, just what you said is okay. Let's, let me quickly correct you, really. Let's, let's tweak a little bit. No, 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 no. Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. How many of us have ever been called Satan by Jesus? Jesus is mad. Those of us who do, doesn't think Jesus gets mad, that he's Mr. Rogers. I think only Mr. Rogers and, and Bob Ross, the only two people, probably never get mad in their entire life. Just a theory. They probably did get mad. But Jesus is like, he is probably beat red. Get away from me, Satan, he said. Why? You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's view. So there's two ways of seeing things. God's view, your view. Your view and my view are not always the same as God's view. Sometimes they're the opposite. We could be Christians for our entire life, and we can still see the world through our eyes only. We can see the government through our eyes and not through God's eyes. We can look at our enemies through God's eyes or our eyes. We can look at the President of the United States through our eyes or God's eyes. Which one is it? Listen, this is very difficult because we're still human. Anybody still human here? Just for a second. How many humans? We have one. The rest of us are like angels. Like you're just perfect, right? I can see you guys. Look at that shiny. Oh, no, that's just, that's just your head. I'm just I'm getting there, okay? I thought that was a halo. No, um, you, this is important here because you can see your situation. You can see your trials. You can see your storms. You can see the government. You can see the world situation. You can see Russia and Ukraine. You can see all of that through your own vision or you can see it through the eyes of God. Which one do you want? Peter. He says you're the Messiah, wins a prize if he was on a game show. You win a new car, right? And then Jesus has to take the keys away because he's like, nope, you don't get the car again. Because 
You're the Messiah, but you're the Messiah that I want you to be, not the real Messiah that is actually biblical. So that's very important because apparently Peter and the disciples did not get it. Apparently they're still blinded. Okay, just like the the blind man from last week's story who was blind completely, was able to see clearly. If you can see people in their trees, you shouldn't walk forward yet. You're still kind of blinded in a sense. Like, nope, can't talk to your tree. Hold on, nope, nope. Okay, wait, oh, sorry, hold on, hold on. You're still blind. Even though you partially see, you're still blind. He needed Jesus, he needed another touch from Jesus, and then he was able to see clearly right in front of him what the truth is. And then you get to this story. And by the way, this is not a coincidence. This is right after. Jesus is getting somewhere here. When Jesus heals people physically, there's always something deeper than that. And the deeper issue here is, you know what? My disciples are boneheads. They're blinded. These are the people, these 12 people minus Judas, these people are the ones who are going to lead the church when Jesus goes to be with the Father. It's very important. It's vital that they know who Jesus really is because God's going to speak through them. They're going to be inspired. God's going to breathe into their their life, and a lot of them are going to write them down what happened, what God's telling them to write down, okay? So Jesus says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view. You're not seeing from my point of view. Get behind me, Satan. See, We need to pause for just a moment and look at the disciples' major issue here. Their problem can become our problem because if God doesn't heal our blindness in areas of our life, you're like, how dare you say, we all have blind spots somewhere. See, the disciples knew Jesus was the Messiah, but they had their own opinion on what that should look like. God creates us in our, in, God creates us in His image. We return the favor and create God in our image. That He's just a fancy human. Like everything that I struggle with, obviously God struggles with that. No, it's not that. See, there's a few things that they assumed that the disciples and other Jewish people, they wanted Jesus to save their nation politically. Didn't happen. Jesus didn't go into Israel to say, to go into an evil dictatorship and get rid of it and say, nope, now I'm going to lead you this way. He didn't do that. He kept the people in charge. He kept the Rome, the Roman people were in charge of that area. They were evil. They were wicked. Every single one of them got killed except for John from these evil political figures. Caesar Nero, I mean, he, who, who, like, burned down Rome and blamed the Jews and all that kind of stuff. He was the one that fed them the lions. He's the one that crucified, uh, Peter upside down on the cross. He was the one that did that. And Jesus could have saved that, but he goes, that's not why I'm here. And this can happen to us, to every, any one of us. We think Jesus is here to save our nation politically. We've got to be very careful with that. Why is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? Then they go, we want Jesus to, we want Jesus to give them military power. In other words, we want to be stronger than Rome. We want to overthrow Rome. Let me hear a quick history lesson right after Jesus went to be with the Father. Did, did Rome fall at that moment? Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem. 70 AD. That's history. That's You can look in a history book. That's happened. Okay? And from that moment on until like 1948, there, there, it's like, where, where, where's God at? But they said, no, no, no. We're, Jesus, you came here so that you can come here with military power so that we can over, this is with the other one, we, we come in here and you overthrow that, you overthrow this evil, wicked, horrible government people. Jesus goes, no. Because his kingdom is not our kingdom. His kingdom's completely different. The third thing that they begged Jesus and they assumed that Jesus would make them prosperous. Now I gotta be very careful because I am not anti, like blessing, okay? 
There's a lot of people, God's gonna, He wants to make you miserable. He wants to take everything from you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not that way. But what I mean by prosperity is that Jesus is a means to an end. And the end is blessing, that's it. I just want blessing. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Like, just like I said last week, when I was a kid, it would have been horrible for me to go to mom and dad and say, I love you. And it's Christmas morning. That's why I love them. Or it's my birthday. Like, I love you. My mom goes, here you go. Thank you. And then I rip it open, and it's not the present I want. And then they come here, do you like your present? Get away from me, mom. I don't like you anymore. I'm waiting for Christmas time. See, we would never, hopefully we would never do that. But that's kind of, they, they said, Jesus is going to come in here, is going to make our nation just prosperous, and that's it. It was incomplete. Does God bless his people? Of course. But it was incomplete. Then they wanted Jesus to draw the crowds. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to make it about themselves. And then last, they, this is the most difficult one. What they want from Jesus, they didn't want Jesus. To, they wanted him not to demand their lives. In other words, like, let's continue on as life always has been. I just want to make it better. Let the Messiah be the cherry on top of my ice cream sundae. Like, there's nothing wrong with an ice cream sundae, by the way, with whipped cream, nuts. You put the, one of those cherries that tastes like, well, I don't know what they are. They're like rubber or something like that. They have that sweet little, you know, I could drink. How many of us, you know, maraschino cherries? You take that bottle or you take that little jar. Could you drink the cherry juice? I could. How many of us could? Thank you. Yeah, good job. Just the two Bremer boys. Okay, that's good. The rest of us, you still can go, go to heaven, but no, most people don't like those cherries. But you know what makes even a better Sunday? Putting one of those on top. Plop. And that's, that's who God is to some people. Like, here, my life's going pretty good, Pastor, but it's not perfect. But if I just get on the good graces of God, maybe my marriage will go better, or maybe my finances will get better. And I get it. God does bless his people. God wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. But that is not a means to an end. The end is wholeness, healing. That's it. Here's the end. Jesus. Here, here's, I have one amen. I love that. Because it is very difficult because we're a little nervous because we're like, but I like his blessing. So do I. But what's it really about? What's discipleship really about? What's a relationship God really about? Just making me better, making my life better? Or is it about praising the name of Jesus for eternity? Now, it's interesting how Jesus always tells his disciples and people not to tell others about me. Peter tells Jesus, you're the Messiah. Good. Just don't tell anybody about that. You want to know why? In that instance, I really believe it's because that Peter's view of the Messiah was incomplete. He didn't want that lie to be spread to the whole world. This is who the Messiah is. He's coming. My Jesus is coming to destroy Rome. My Jesus is coming so that I would never have a headache again. My Jesus is going to show up and he's going to make our nation prosperous. My need, my Jesus is coming here so that, that he's just going to pat me on the head, give me a cookie, give me a blanket, say, go take a nap. And that's what life's about. No, 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 no. That's not who the Messiah is. That's not who Jesus is. That's incomplete. Jesus came to do something much greater than that. You're like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Are you going crazy? No, 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 no. Jesus is saying something right after this. Verse 34. Because this is very, this, these verses are some of the most important verses of all. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we separate the Christians from the followers of Christ. This is where we separate the religious people from the people who really really, really, really want to honor Jesus with their lives. This is where it separates. Verse 34, Jesus, it goes on to say this. Then calling to the crowd, it's not just about the disciples, it's about us too. He calls the crowd. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, pause. 
If any one of you guys want to become a Christian, what do you do first? You got to run up to the altar. You got to say a prayer. You got to do this. You got to, no, 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 no. That's even more than that. I went to the altar when I gave my life to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. I said a prayer. Lord, dear Lord Jesus, I, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my, I, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. I want to go to heaven. That kind of thing. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus didn't say, say a magic prayer. Jesus, Jesus, don't run up the altar and raise your hand. Don't, he goes, if you want to be my follower, you must, some translations say, deny yourself. This one says, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. I mean, how many of us would... He uses this as an illustration of carrying your cross. What is that? What is a cross? It's a, it's a device that killed you. Very uncomfortable. It killed Jesus. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to say yes to me, it's more than just going to the altar and saying yes. It's more than raising your hand. It's more than saying a magic prayer. It is, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and you must what? Follow me. I'm going to do what Jesus is doing. I'm going to say what Jesus is saying. I'm going to go where Jesus has called me to go. And if Jesus isn't calling me to go there and he wants to stay, he wants me to stay exactly where I'm at to reach the people right here, then I'm going to do it. That's why when I moved to Kamei, I wanted to move to Kamei because that's where Jesus was calling me. And from, from 20 years next weekend, we'll be 20 years moving here, as crazy as that sounds. Every moment of my life here, Jesus is saying, stay, plug, plug into, this is where I'm calling you. Because he says, you got to take up your cross, you got to give up your own way, you got to follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, you're going to save it. And what benefit, do you, what's the benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Pause. How many of us, your soul's pretty, it's worth a lot. Your soul's going to live forever. This, this little skin here, not going to live forever. This nose, this pointy German nose right here, that's really kind of, Hayden makes fun of it. I'm not always going to have this nose. Soon this is going to be gone. But my soul will live forever. If anyone is ashamed of me in my message, what's the message? Deny yourself, follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. That's his message. But if, you do, if you're ashamed of me in my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of the Father with his holy angels. I don't like that. So, does God really bless us? Of course he does. Does God heal? Of course he does. Look, he healed the blind man. Does God reward? Does he do, does he do good things? Of course he does. He gives you peace. He gives you hope. He gives you joy. Yes! What is it really about? It's more than that. You're like, I don't want this. This is where a lot of people, even in the Bible, there's followers that Jesus that walked away. See ya. Don't want this too much. Here's 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 my promise to you. When you say yes to Jesus, and you make it more than religion, and you make it more than just, uh, Jesus, just show up. Here, here's my life. Can you just bless this? Can you just, here, I'm going this direction. Can you just, can you just clear the path that I'm already on? Because that's not what it's about. It's about following Jesus on the path that he's carving out, and the road that he marks out isn't the easiest one to follow. It is not the easiest one to follow. Sometimes, sometimes when you walk the path that he's on, he's going to lead you in areas that you never would have walked by yourself. There's things that I've done in my life because I follow, 
Christ that I never would have chose on my own because I'm lazy. And I like comfort. See, I want to, do I want to please and honor myself or do I want to please and honor God? Because you can't do both. Paul, who was crazy, crazy in love with God, Galatians 2.20 said this. Um, I don't, did I? Interesting, I didn't put it in there. Anyway, um, just listen to this. My, that's weird. I thought I put it on here. I practiced through that. Anyway, my, oh, it might be out of order. My old self, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm out of order my notes. Okay. Here. Sorry. Rewind the, fast forward through this part of the YouTube. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I got so excited. I skipped my notes. It means that you can, you die so that you can live. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means that you die, you, your vision of who you really are. It's crucified so that you can really live. Now, Galatians 2.20. I got so wound up. That's what happens. My old self, everybody say old self. That means that there was a self that's no longer alive in you. When you're a Christ follower, when you're a Christian, you are not who you used to be. You can't just say, this is who I am. Now God just reward me and bless me and I want to be the same. No, 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 no. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what does it mean? What does it mean to follow Christ? It means that you die so that you live. What does that really mean? It means that you don't have your own agenda anymore. You, you don't just, you know, I have my own way, God. If you could just bless that, that's it. He says, now if you want to follow me, you got to see that road that you're on? You, that road needs to be abandoned. That road's going to be grown over. You need to walk this path that I'm carving out. But I don't want to. I don't like, look at that. He goes, you got to go through all that. You got to see through the fog and see the end results, the direction that you're going to. What you're going to see is eternity. Here's the second one. And this might be one that maybe you're here and you're going to listen to this and you go, I, I, I can't do this, Pastor. I'm done. And I wouldn't blame you because it's hard. It's so much easier just to be religious. It's so much easier to go through the motions and kneel when you're supposed to kneel and lift up your hands when you're supposed to do the part and then go home and just live and to do whatever you want. That's easy. I could do that. Anyone can do it. A monkey could do that. A little kid could do that. But the second one, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means, and I don't know why, okay, it means that you choose the suffering that comes with obedience over the comfort that comes with disobedience. Why in the world would someone choose pain, suffering? Why wouldn't, if you're human, you rather have comfort, guarantee. How many of you guys sit on, like, a chair that's got a few nails in it and you put your back in it? Or how many of us, we try to find the most comfortable chair to sit on? Okay? Some, how many of you guys have a really comfortable bed to sleep on? Like it's like a cloud, right? There's a purpose for it. Because it feels good. It's necessary. But in the life with Jesus, he's going to walk you down a path that you're going to go, man, if I wasn't a Christian right now, it'd be so much easier. Some people, they lose jobs. They lose friends. They, they suffer. It means that they, 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 they sacrificed their own way. They've lost material possessions. My question is, is Jesus worth it? There's a question. Who does, who, who do you say Jesus is? Here's a question I'm going to ask you. Is, is Jesus worth it? Because like I said, the road that you're walking on, there's fog. There's things that might trip you up a little bit. Oh, that hurts. Oh, it's just stubbed my toe like that. But if you could see through the cloud, if you could see through the fog, if you could see beyond all this stuff that you have to go through in this life, you'll see where you're going. You'll see where you're going. Here's my issue with some people 
they they think this earth this is like this is it like christians like if if god can make this perfect i don't even need eternity if you could just take care of all my issues lord god sometimes god says no why because he's he, he's taking you on a road following him is this world our permanent home no, it's not. And last but certainly not least, and again, this is tough because some of us are going to go, I don't know why I even went to that church in the first place. Because we live in, and this is not going to, this is going to sound like I have a tinfoil hat, but I really believe we're in the end times. There's too many, there's too much evidence to prove it. That I have, we have to get, we, that's why we're going through Mark, is we have to get the real Jesus. And the last part is that it means, what it means it mean to follow Christ? It means that we need to renounce prosperity. Let's, don't, 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 don't leave me yet. We need to renounce prosperity and reward in this world for prosperity and reward in the world to come. Listen. Does God bless? Of course he does. I said that already. Does God reward? Yes, he does. Does God heal? Of course he does. But Jesus, he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole what? World, but lose his soul. See, everything in this world that we hold on to dearly, that I hold on to dearly, it will not last forever. I could go to my grave with a million dollars. I'm kind of a million dollars shy of being there, but not quite a million dollars. But I, they could put me in that pine box and put me in the ground with my wallet in my pocket. It won't matter. They could put my. They could put a million dollars in the in the coffin with me. They can bury me in a gold coffin. Don't do that. Don't waste. Don't waste your money when I die. You know. But they're still going to cover it with just free dirt. The point is that the moment I pass away from this life and I wake up in heaven, that all those superficial things that we worried about so much, it won't matter. Just even for a second, it won't matter because eternity really, 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 really matters. Because if we're lucky, some of us might make it a hundred years on this earth. Ha <laughs> ha. How many of us want to live to 100? Not really. That means I got almost 60 years to go. That's a long time. But that's if you're lucky. But eternity lasts forever. So what should we invest our time and effort into? We should invest our time and effort into the kingdom of God, into the things of the kingdom. We need to invest our time, our talents, our resources, our money, everything that we are, into the kingdom of God, not to Pastor Joel's bank account, not to the church account. We need to invest in what God's really doing, and that is that's what will last forever. I have a retirement account through Pepsi, and I had I've made the uh, uh, big mistake of checking it out the other day online. Again, I'm on the second year of losing money on my retirement account. I thought, no, I don't need to see that anymore. I'm done. Well, looking at that, which I was warned not to look at it, because the stock market goes like that. And now it's going. But it's a good thing I'm not, the good thing when I go to heaven, I won't even care about my 401k. Let's take a moment and just look inside yourself for just a moment as we pray. This is a tough sermon. I get it. It's not, it's not Pastor Joel's cookie hour where you come up here and get hot chocolate and cookies. I get it. That sounds like a fun time. Believe me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of boring. This is not a sermon where just come up here and have some lemonade and cool off and relax. This is like throwing you into the lion's den. But if this truly is the final days, we don't have long and we don't have time to sit there fretting over stuff. 
and wishing that my life was a certain way or how come I'm not doing this? How come I haven't accomplished this? How come I haven't lived this way? The, the thing is, what's God really want for you and from you? Do, do you know what the answer is really quick? He wants from you and for you all. He wants all of you because he gave all of himself for you. Father, help us through this tough sermon. I get it. It's hard. Nobody really wants to come out here rejoicing and going, hallelujah, that felt great. But the reality is, Lord, I think if we're all being honest and we read the Bible, we know, Lord, that there were some people, Jesus, that denounced you. They, they went against this teaching and they went, we, it's too hard. Who could, who could, who could live this out? And they walked away. But these disciples, they went to their graves. They died physically because of following you. And they took it serious because they knew that the life to come is way more important, infinitely more important than this life here on earth. We invest things of the kingdom that will last for all eternity. That's not going to rot. That's not going to disappear. That's not going to go back backwards like my 401k. That's going to continue to build and build. It's a kingdom investment. My time, my effort, all of it is for you. You've called us to deny ourselves, to, to give up our own way, pick up the cross that you've given us, and to follow you, God, to our spiritual joy, our spiritual eternity. But it seems like our life here is not the same, which is a good thing. We want to do the things that you're calling us to do. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus, that's what you're teaching us today. And it's hard, but you have promised that it's worth it. Is it worth it? Yes, because we gain everything. We thank you for this church, for the people around us. We pray that as we leave this place, there would be conversations of encouragement, prayers, smiles, hugs, whatever it takes for us to leave this place going, you know what? I love this place. I love these people. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I know it's hard. wife told me to share. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how to do this right. And, and I'm not sure I know how to do it right. But anyway, I'll just say that, um, and it goes with your sermon. Um, God wants to use us. And one of the ways that he wants to use us is to take the good news of the gospel to the lost. For a lot of years, when I was Growing up in the Lord, I heard a lot of pastors talk about you have to do it a certain way. You have to have tracks. Use the four spiritual laws. Use the will. And it just stunted me. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, and it's only been in previous years. Um, 